Well, you guys ready to get in the word this evening? We're talking about walking in the life of God. And when we talk about life of God, we're talking about the Greek word that Jesus used. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, the very eternal life and nature of God. You know, as we said last week, as we started this series, we talk about the life of God, but very few people walk in a depth of the revelation of it. And we're going to look at that. We're going to really get in it. We're still, this is week two, but we're defining the life of God. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. And we're just going to just jump right in. Praise God. Hallelujah. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word. That means the the logos, L-O-G-O-S the divine expression, and the word was with God. In other words, the word was with God. It was pros, that's the Greek word, was face to face with God. And the word was God, forever telling us that you cannot separate God from his word, right? You cannot separate it. You know, I went to a Bible college called Rama Bible Training Center. They call it Bible Training College now. Rama. Rama is the Greek word, the spoken word, right? Then you have the logos, the divine expression. You have the written word, but they all reveal the living word. The living word is Jesus. So literally the word of God, how you're going to know God is through his word. If God said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. His word is forever settled in heaven. Now let's jump down to verse 4. In him, verse 4, was life. Was Zoe life. In him. The Bible says, the Father says, or Jesus said, as the Father has Zoe within himself, he's given the Son to have Zoe within himself. And then Jesus said, I've come that you might have Zoe. Isn't that amazing? You in your spirit, your spirit is filled and saturated with the very life of God. The same quality of life that he has. I wonder if that will affect your life outwardly at all. It will affect everything. Everything in a big way. So here's the thing. In him was life, and it says this, and the life was the light of men. This word light literally means development. In other words, the life of God, the Zoe life of God, will develop the born-again spirit of man. It's the development of man. Isn't that amazing? So here's the thing. You must receive eternal life and walk in it, right? We have to receive it. We have to walk in the light of it in order for it to benefit us and to produce change in every arena of our life. We not only have to receive it. When I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that's, that's great, but now I have to walk in it. I have to walk in the light of it. And what that will do is it'll benefit every area of my life. Because see, God, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you would have my very life, but that you would have it more abundantly. Isn't that amazing? That word more abundantly in John 10, 10 literally means too much. Right? In other words, you possess right now too much of the life of God. So what, this is why when you walk around in your life, you are compelled to give it away. To tell, because you got too much. To be honest with you, you could never give it away to where it would even be able to ever move from being too much. Because everything that God creates, everything that he is, all through the Bible, it always propitiates. It grows, it increases. 
You know, they'll sit there and say, you know, we're so afraid that we're going to run out of stuff on the earth. That's impossible. It's impossible. God, God would never create anything that would run out. Right? And, and see, people might go, no, 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 we only have so much oil. Okay. And, and eventually, God will give somebody an idea to where in a, in a little thumb, thimble-sized thing of water, we'll be able to power more things than tankers of oil. I mean, it just everything in God increases. His life increases. So we have to receive eternal life and walk in the light of it to enjoy the reality of it. In. And this is why we're teaching this, because many of the children of God are not enjoying Zoe life. Zoe life is I'm never afraid. Zoe life is circumstances never move me. I, in Christ, move circumstances, right? Zoe, as we're going to see, we're going to look at a lot of examples of this, it produces changes in your personal habits and in every arena of your life. The Zoe life of God on the inside of you will literally change personal habits. It'll change every arena of your life. It'll change your speech. It'll change your conduct, right? It'll change. It'll, it'll correct bad habits and help you form new life-giving and, and, and increasing habits and disciplines in your life. The Zoe life of God will eliminate selfishness and self-centeredness which connects you to fear and it opens a door for the enemy to come steal, kill, and destroy. So in other words, the Zoe life of God, it'll eliminate selfishness, self-centeredness. You're no longer considering yourself. Now you're, you're walking the very life of God and it'll change everything in your life. The Zoe life of God will destroy friction in homes. It'll destroy friction in relationships. It'll bring life back to things. To, it, it'll heal wounds. It does all of these things. But you have to receive it, and you have to walk in the light of it, right? The Zoe life of God causes one basically to operate in the very love of God. That's literally what the Zoe life of God does. Because love never fails. The love of God never fails. So in other words, what we're saying is the eternal Zoe life of God, which is in the spirit of every believer, that life determines the person's manner of life. Oh, if people could understand. See, you know what's so great about that statement? Is because you already possess the Zoe life. I mean, you already have it. This is not something that you need to develop in. This is something that you need to just get a believe, get a revelation of, and walk in the light of it. It's amazing. Because when God gave it to you, he didn't give you just a little bit. And he said, okay, if you're faithful with this, then I'll give you a little more. No, no. Jesus said, I came to give you too much. Right? What does Psalm 23 say? My cup is not full. My cup runs over. It doesn't say my cup ran over, right? It ran over and now it's just full. No, no, my cup's running over. Wow. Who am I going to spill on, right? Because don't you want everybody to have that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 10, it says this. The, this, this. In verse 10 and 11 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it's real interesting. We're talking about how the Zoe life of God will affect your manner of life, your outward day-to-day -day life. It is about time that Christians, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that that affect their natural life. That the peace of God comes out and mounts guard over your heart and your mind by Christ Jesus so that you're no longer worried. Isn't that good news? So that you're at the beginning of a battle and you already know the end of it. So important. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said this. 
always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Okay? Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. What is he talking about without reading the whole context of that? Is he saying, wait a minute, in order for me to have the life of God manifest in my flesh, I've, gotta, I've always got to be being put to death? No, no, let's read it in context. What he is saying here, Paul is talking about the life of God that is in my spirit that was a result of the fact that I was crucified with Christ. I was buried with him in baptism. Isn't that amazing that I was crucified and buried? I was raised to newness of life. This is Romans chapter 6. I was literally identified with his crucifixion and his resurrection almost 2,000 years ago. And because of that, now sin no longer has dominion over me. What is the wages of sin? Death. Right? There, before there was sin, you never saw sickness and disease in the earth. You never saw poverty and lack. You never saw any of that. But I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And because of this, now Paul is talking about because of the life of God in my spirit, it is to manifest in my body. The life of God is to heal my body. It's to give me strength. It is to permeate and affect what I say and where I go and how I walk in love. And, you know, when somebody does me wrong, I still stay in the love walk so the enemy can never rob me. That I could actually be a help to the person who's despitefully using me. Right? Why? Because for this short season of my life, I am here to show the world who Jesus is. And oh, what a ride it is. Because God, see what happens is you harvest into other people's lives and God just harvests into your life. That's, that's the life he has for you. Just because you possess the Zoe life of God doesn't mean it will work automatically in your life. You have to live under the light of it by putting the word first place, by renewing your mind with the word of God, right? So that you could walk in the love of God and by the faith of God, so that you could walk in the very strength of God, not in your own strength, so that you could be sensitive enough to be led by the spirit of God. What am I saying? There is a level of life that you and I have been given by God. We are to literally walk as he walked. Doesn't the word tell us to be imitators of God, little children? Right? Doesn't the word tell us, hey, if you're calling Jesus your Lord, you ought to also walk like he walked. Didn't Jesus say, listen, as my father called me, now I'm calling you. Did, did the father call Jesus to live with sickness and disease and die early? No. So is there any way that that's possibly the will of God for your life? No. Did Jesus ever walk in lack or, or poverty apart from being made poor on the cross so that we through his poverty might be made rich, might come into a full and abundant supply? See, Jesus' life, Jesus said the works that I do, greater, than, greater works than these, these will you do because I'm going to the Father right? So this is a new way of life, but it doesn't work automatically. Zoe life is literally this. It is the nature of God. It is the eternal life of God, and it is the wisdom of God. All of that together. If you do a study on the Zoe life of God, it's literally the nature of God, the life of God, and the wisdom of God. It just pours out of you. This word zoe, it literally, all throughout the New Testament, as we said last week, it literally references the eternal divine life of God every time it's used. So if you look at the Gospel of John, the word life, zoe, 
that word in that gospel, it acts like a key that will unlock the divine side of the plan of of redemption to you. If you don't understand Zoe, you won't understand this this God's plan of redemption. You'll never know the divine side of it. Because redemption is all about God coming. Jesus came. He took upon himself flesh. He lived as a man. He died in your place. He took your life so you could have his life. So if you don't understand that word, you'll never understand the revelation of the divine side of the redemptive work of Christ. You'll never understand that. So what was the biggest miracle that could ever happen to any of us? It's literally already happened, receiving the Zoe life of God. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I have sickness in my body. This is pretty serious. The biggest thing would be if, if, I, if I receive my healing. Uh, no, no, no. You've already, you've already had a bigger miracle in your life. Now, he's already provided healing for you. He's already, he'll move. He's a God of miracles. He's a healer. He's a provider. All that, but that will never be as great as the fact that you receive Zoe life. Satan does not want you to know that. Because that makes him irrelevant in your life. Irrelevant in your life. Receiving eternal life. What is it? It is literally the God of heaven, your father, imparting his very nature, his very substance, his very being into your human spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's what happened to you when you got saved. We talk about, you know, the the purpose of our church, reaching people, changing lives. We're all about, we want to reach as many people for Christ as we possibly can, and then we want to help them grow up. But growing up is not getting more of God, it's growing in the revelation of what you've been given the day you got born again. The Bible says whoever is born of God overcomes the world system. And this is the victory that overcomes the world system. It's our faith. It's we simply believe what the word says. Isn't that good news? Wow. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, he makes a wonderful statement. So you go verse 1, verse 2, you go all the way down. But in verse 14, it really gives the definition of everything. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? But then if you jump down to verse 14, it says, and the word, what, was made flesh. In the Greek language, it means the word of God, Jesus, took upon himself flesh. Why? To operate legally, to come die for us, he had to take the form of a man. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It says here, and we beheld his glory, The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Do you know Jesus was called the only begotten of the Father right up until he came out of the grave? After that, he's the first begotten. Right? The only begotten of the Father. What does that mean? Full of grace and full of truth. That's who you are now in him. You were created in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. Right? He was a divine human being. Jesus then, as a sinless sacrifice, he he did not sin. He He was a sinless sacrifice, was able to redeem us from spiritual death and impart his very life, and his very nature to us. Isn't that amazing? That's who you are right now as you're sitting here. So don't let anything in your life dominate you. Right? Who you are in Christ is above all. The Bible says that the moment we got born again, we were given all things that pertain to Zoe life and godliness. The Bible says that we were given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
We possess them right now. Wow. So what is Christianity? Is it a religion? No. It's a relationship with God. If you want to define Christianity, I would define it this way. Christianity is the divine act of God that transfers a man out of the kingdom of darkness and transfers him in to the kingdom of God. That's what Christianity is. That's you and I. Right now we live in this world system. This has been an interesting year living in the world system, right? But we live in it in the kingdom of God. So we're free. There's no lack in the kingdom. There's no sickness and disease in the kingdom. There's no poverty and lack in the kingdom. There's no depression in the kingdom. So why do we deal with that? We just have to see the progressions different. In the Old Testament, God said, listen, they weren't his children. They, they literally were servants of God. And God says, if you guys will do what I say, because I cut covenant over here with Abraham and Moses, if you'll do what I say, I have a legal right to kind of put you under an umbrella so that you can walk in a blessing. If you'll do this, then I'm able to do this for you. And that is a type and shadow. There's patterns. It's profitable for us to learn these things, but we have to learn them under the light of New Testament truth. New Testament, the progression's completely opposite. I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I have the very life and nature of God in me. I am in Christ. So now, Satan, when he attacks my body illegally or attacks my finances or attacks my life illegally, now... He must bow, and the circumstances and the situation, the sickness and disease, it's all got to bow to who I am in Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my obedience. It's about his obedience, right? So this is what we're talking about. Now, I love Ezekiel 36 because it gives us a prophetic look at what God, in the Old Testament, God prophetically pronounced what he would do when people, in the, in the New Covenant, when, people, when Jesus would come and people would be able to be born again. So in Ezekiel 36, in verse 24, it says this, Ezekiel 36, 24, it says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Okay, so now this is talking to the children of Israel, but this is also a prophetic scripture of what happened to us. So here's the New Testament parallel scripture to this. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 13 and verse 14. That says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's a type. See, the Old Testament, that was a type. Them being taken out from among the heathen is us being taken out of the hold of Satan and put in the kingdom of God. So verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, let's look at this. It says, then I, will, or then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Look at this. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Oh, now we're getting to see he's talking about a New Testament believer, right? When you got saved, he took out the old spirit man that you were and he put a brand new spirit. You're not, you're not improved, right? You're brand new. We call that being born from above. The Bible calls us the very offspring of God. We call it being born again, right? So what happened when I said, Jesus, I believe in my heart. I choose today to believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, your father, and you're, you're alive today, seated in heaven at your father's right hand. And right now, by an act of my will, I proclaim with my mouth 
that Jesus, you're Lord of all, and today you're my Lord. The minute I did that, the Holy Spirit, I gave him a legal right to come on to, into the inside of my physical body, take out this spirit that is dead and separated from God, that had spiritual death in it, and I was made a brand new creature in Christ with the life and nature of God. He made, I'm a brand new spirit, born again. The Holy Spirit came in. Romans tells me that he took the agape love of God, the, the, the unconditional love of God, and shed it abroad in my spirit. And then he took up permanent residency there. The Holy Spirit of God lives within me now. And he's my teacher. He's my helper. See, I can, I can intellectually read this, but I'll never be able to see it unless he brings revelation to it. He's got to open it. Because this isn't ink on a page. This is living. This is living. So this is what this is talking about. It says, and I'll take away the stony heart. Well, let me read verse 26 again. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Well, what's the New Testament scripture for that? 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 and also 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That means a new species, one that's never existed before. It literally means an original form, forever showing you and I, there will never be more than one of you. There's never been another you. And there never will be. You're one of a kind. God broke the mold after he made you. Who are you like? You're like your father. Amen. Right? I love that. It says here, if any, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, what's passed away? Right? See, I'm new on the inside, not on the outside. My, my, my hair color didn't change. Or, you know, I didn't change physically when I got born again, but I changed on the inside. I no longer, I, I'm no longer self-centered on the inside. I'm God-centered on the inside. I'm no longer spiritually dead. I'm spiritually alive. So now, though... I've got to allow the life of God that I have on the inside, I've got to allow it to show up on the outside so that I could walk in it. And the Holy Spirit's here to help us. And that's why we teach on these things. All things, all things are become new. Verse 21, for he, talking about God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, why did he do that? That we might be made the very righteousness of Almighty God in him. You and I were made righteous. We can't be good enough to be righteous. We, be, we were made righteous, not just a lower form of righteousness. No, no, you were literally made the very righteousness of Almighty God. Your spirit See, you're not clothed in a robe of righteousness. I grew up in a denomination where I, I was told I had a robe of righteousness. And, I, and, and a lot of my growing up years, I'm trying to figure out, you know, why do I keep taking this thing off, right? But when you realize, no, 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 I am righteous. Wow. When you realize your spirit man is righteous, with the very righteousness of God, it'll cause you to walk holy before him. Why is there sin in the church? Because we are lacking a revelation of righteousness. Because right, holiness, which is our lifestyle, flows out of righteousness. So if you want to fix a sin habit in your life, don't get up in the morning and go, okay, today I am not gossiping about anybody. Today, I'm not going to tell a lie. Okay, today, I'm going to walk free from pornography. 
today will be, I'm, I'm not going to smoke another cigarette. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to, right, whatever you, whatever it is. Those are the really lower, lower forms of things that, you know, you got to put smoking, drinking, kind of in the same class as overeating. But the real bad stuff is you saying out of your mouth that you can't have what God says he's already given you. The Bible calls that an evil heart of unbelief. You walking around all day going, shame on me, I'm just a dirty this. Oh, you are. So what you're doing is you're slapping Jesus in the face and saying, what you did for me was not enough. So instead of trying to overcome the sin habit, meditate on the word of what it says on how you've been made the righteousness of God. Paul's, all of Paul's writings, the Judaizers hated him. Because they're like, man, this guy's given you a license to sin. No, 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 no. No, Paul was giving them a way out of sin. When you understand how much God loves you, how you've been made the righteousness of God, how you've been literally put in a position where you can draw from the strength of God every moment of every day, you can walk as a new man. Because you are a new man. Right? I love that. So this this whole 2 Corinthians chapter 5 thing, it's talking about the human spirit. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a physical body. Right? If your spirit, like death, death in the Bible, if you look up that, that Hebrew or Greek word, it literally means separation. What do you mean? Well, when your spirit separates from your physical body, that's all death is. Do you know everybody who's ever lived is still alive? They're all, they're, everybody's still alive. God made man eternal. So eternity for us is a lot like real estate, right? You've heard me say that before. It's all about location, 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 right? You don't want to go down. You want to you go up, right? Man, so what are we talking about? God giving birth to a new man. You are a new man tonight, right now. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation, as if sin never existed in your life. The Bible says your spirit man is made new day by day. You could translate that moment by moment, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 16 says this, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Wow. See, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can separate you from him because he dwells in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 16, it says this, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow. Everything you go through, guess what? You're going through because he's with you. He's my God. He walks. He dwells in me. I love that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says this. Now this, is, this gets really good. But he that is joined to the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. What? Boy, that'll tilt you. One? Well, didn't Jesus pray, Father, that they may be one even as we are one? Wow, one spirit. So in other words, the word of God is telling us that this union with Jesus bestows upon us all of the authority that Adam lost 
it got it all back. So now, when Jesus came out of the grave, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now, you go in my name. Literally, he gave us the power of attorney to use his name. Wherever his name is, that's where he is. In other words, we have been given this all authority. So when you go to, the, when you go to God and say, Lord, man, you got to get the devil out of my life. He's going to look at you and go, uh, you do it. I already did my part. So now you do it. Didn't he say that to Paul? Come on, Jesus, are you kidding me? Man, everywhere I go, you got to take this, this thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan, you got to get him out of my life. I mean, they think I'm God one minute, the next minute they're stoning me. They're, they're throwing me in prison. They're doing this. You have got to get this thorn out of my life. What does God say to him? No, 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 my grace is sufficient for you. Paul figured that out. He got a revelation of that. And he says, oh man, so I choose to glory in my weakness because when I am weak, then that's when I'm strong because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. See, if you're carrying the care tonight, God can't carry it. And oh, he wants to carry it. He wants you to rest. He wants you to go home tonight and have the best night's sleep you've ever had. He wants you to sleep and rest on the outside. Why? Because you're resting on the inside. Cease from your own works. You're not trying to be. You already are. So now, because of who you are in Christ, because of who he is in you, that'll change everything. In other words, his life will change your manner of life. It'll change your every arena of your life. That's why we're talking about this. I, lo I love this. Everything Adam and Eve lost, we got back. This is why it says in Romans 5.17, in Romans 5.17 it says, for if by one man's offense death reigned, that means death had full and superior dominion by the one, talking about Adam. It says much more, and this Greek phrase, so much more, you can't even compare. Much more, they which will receive the abundance of grace. Notice it doesn't say they which God gives. It says they which receive. You know why? Because God gives it to everyone. He's holding it out to every human being that ever lived is living or will ever live. They which receive, that word receive literally means to take hold of. They that take hold of and continue in the abundance of grace and the gift. See, the gift of righteousness won't do anybody any good if you don't receive it. Right? My wife and my daughter just had a birthday. And man, you know, I got them some gifts for their birthday they would not have enjoyed them if they were still sitting on the counter, right? They wouldn't even know what they were. They wouldn't, they wouldn't enjoy them. And that's what people are doing. Christians are going, you know, I'm just, I'm just this you know, ridiculous mess. And Satan's like, yeah, let me, let me remind you of some of the things you've done, right? Let me fill in some blanks, all your failures. But God's up there going, no, 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 you're a world overcomer. You're brand new. But you have to receive the gift of righteousness. you got to get born again to walk in all this stuff. I love that. Everyone who is born again has received the very life of God. Look at what it says here. They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. That word life is zoe. They will have full and superior dominion as they walk in the life of God that was given to them. One translation says that they will reign as kings in life. If you're not reigning as a king in life tonight, get excited because that's God's will for your life. That's God's will. 
the word of God, the Zoe life of God, the grace of God, I'm telling you, God watches over his word to perform it. It will change every circumstance and every situation in your life. Don't look at your life today and think your future's set. No, no, no. Anything you've done to mess up your future, listen, don't worry about that. You didn't mess up your future. The only way you could mess up your future is if you decide not to have ears to hear and just still keep doing the same thing. No, give yourself a break and let the life of God fix things. Let the healing power of God heal your body. Put all the pressure on your faith, not on you. Right? This is so important. See, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal zoe, eternal zoe life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now we come to John 10, 10, the deciding line in the Bible. I don't understand why it's so confusing in seminaries and with many ministers you know, that will get up there and teach, well, you know, God might be using this sickness to teach you something. It's, it's like, are you kidding me? Can you show me even one scripture that will tell me that God will use sickness, he'll put it on me or he'll allow it to teach me something? There's not one. The Bible does say he uses the word to teach his children. I mean, that, that's in there right? So we got to get, we got to get past this. This is real simple. I love it. It's real easy for me. It's the dividing line. Jesus said, the thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So if it steals, if it kills, if it destroys, it is from the thief. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have Zoe life and have it more abundantly or have it too much. So if it's life and it's overflowing, then it's God. The Bible's real clear. The Bible says things like God is good all the time. The Bible says things like all the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in Christ, amen, which means so be it unto me. The Bible even goes on to say if you ask anything, 1 John chapter 5, If you ask anything according to my will, well, what's his will? His word. If you ask anything according to my will, he says, I hear you. And and then he says, if you know I heard you, you know you already have the petition that you've asked me for. Where is that sometimes God says yes and some... Now, it sounds really good when you've got this really good communicator, you know, they change their voice. Well, you know, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes, whatever. No, no, where is that in the Bible, right? And I don't care how many letters you have behind your name because red letters trump all the letters. MDiv, right? Master of Theology, that's a funny one. You know, I'm, I'm very close to getting a Master's of Theology degree. Are you kidding me? A Master of Knowing About God. To be honest with you, the more I learn about him, it's exciting, but the more I realize I'm still in kindergarten. And I'm amazed at how much victory I could walk in in kindergarten. But it's because Satan's a punk and he's been defeated. Right? Jesus is the champion. And all of this stuff that I face, everything I'm facing, everything you're facing right now, it's a test, but it's an open book test And the one who knows all the answers is right inside of you, and he wants you to know all the answers. I love that. Well, sometimes you win some, you lose some. That's not in the Bible either. No, the Bible says whoever's born of God overcomes the world. The Bible says things like, my father always causes me to triumph in Christ, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's go to John chapter 5 and verse 1 because I want, I, want to sh- I want to show you this story. I've been to this place in Israel. It's, it's, this is about the healing of the man in, at the pool of Bethesda. And I, I want to talk about this because 
This event happened in the ministry of Jesus, and then he told why. So there's 19 individual cases of healing in the word of God, in the ministry of Jesus, 19. Seems like there's more, but many times the, the same stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? And so there's 19, like the woman with the issue of blood, not, not including all the times where it says power went out of him and healed all of them. We're talking about individual cases. There's 19 of them. 10 of the 19, really? I say 10, it's probably 11, but I'm going to be conservative and say 10. Literally, it, 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 the person's faith was the determining factor. Jesus would say things like to the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. 10 of the 19, the person's faith was identified directly as the reason why they received their healing. Seven of the last nine, you can see the person's faith. It doesn't actually say your faith made you whole, but you can see their faith was the determining factor very clearly. Only two times there was a healing of a blind man and this time, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, that this was a healing that was initiated by the Holy Spirit. So out of 19 individual cases, two of them were Holy Spirit initiated. What do I mean by that? It had nothing to do with the faith of the person. It was either a gift of healing, a working of a miracle, or special faith. The healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, this is one of those two. So it was a miracle. He was not in faith. God, just, he just got healed. Okay, And this is a great story about the life of God. So let's look at this. John chapter 5, verse 1. You guys doing okay? I feel like you're excited about this. I'm really excited. I, I hope I'm making this clear. I'm going a little fast. Uh, I'm kind of doing that on purpose. Because uh, I want you to get the flow. For you note takers, I'm one of these guys. You're going to have to go back and listen to it again. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool. So this Greek word for pool, it's a word that literally means well-developed. It, it denotes that this pool was made of marble. Okay? So there's this marble pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda. It literally means house of kindness, or really, more accurately, house of mercy. Who named it this? The sick. The infirmed called it that. It wasn't always a house of mercy. It wasn't always the pool of, pool of Bethesda. Okay? And this pool, this big marble pool, they said it was probably 55 feet long and pretty wide for that day was gigantic. And there were five porches that were built around this pool. Okay? So it's really interesting when you look at this story because the power of God one thing you can get from this is it shows up in very unlikely places. Now this pool was in the time of Jesus, it was located next to a sheep market. And it was by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, which I've been over there. So there's this pool and it's by where they have all these sheep, they sell sheep. You know, Ryan and Carissa, who are on vacation right now, and I went to Broken Bow, Nebraska to minister. And it's a beautiful drive up there, and then we got out of the car. And I'm like, oh, the smell was unbelievable. Now, some of the people up there said it smelled like money. I don't know where that money had been, but wow. But it was a feedlot. So there's animals, man. There's flies, there's animals, you know. I mean, all this stuff. So you could imagine the smell of the sheep market. And this pool is by this sheep market. Just wanted to give you guys a little picture of that, right? This pool 
originally was not called the Pool of Bethesda. It was called the Virgin Well. It was a hot mineral spring that literally had the cleanest and purest water in all of Jerusalem that would flow into it. And this pool was by the temple, and so the priests who were wealthy leaders in the community at the time, they were very wealthy and influential people. They took over this pool, and they had these five other porches built on it, very elaborate, and they made it an exclusive club where the who's who would go there and sit under these beautiful porches that had paintings all there and all this other stuff, and it was really nice. It was like a really high-end resort, basically. Then the problem happened. All of, now, now the, sheep, the sheep market wasn't there when, when it was the big, big exclusive thing. So over time, the mineral spring dried up. Because of the way they built the porches now, the water was stagnant. There's no, long, there's no longer water running into this place, and it can't drain out. So if you could imagine a pool of water that the rain would keep it full, it would never be cleaned. Because see, when that dried up, all the wealthy priests and the who's who are like, I'm out of here. Can't sell it. They just, they just left it. Eventually, a, a sheep market was put over there by it. And eventually, it was known that an angel would come down. And we'll see it in the story. And would, would you know, do the waters. Now, when you read the story, it's almost like an angel would come down and kind of make the waters move a little bit. No, that's not what the Greek word is. I mean, I could just see this big angel just, you know, it was like a tumult of water. So if you could imagine all these animals, the smell, the mosquitoes in stagnant water, the algae, it was green and brown, the mold, and the porches now, it became called the house of mercy because when this angel would rough up the waters, the first one that would go into the pool would be healed. Right, So there's probably hundreds of very sick people laying under these porches out of the sun watching the water. So this is the story, right? So let's, let's keep going. Let me see here. Verse 3. Well, I should say this. In other words, this was a very unappealing place for the afflicted to gather. These were the people with, that were given no hope. They shouldn't have even been there. And they're, they're laying around. Verse 3, it says, In these lay a great multitude. This Greek word means an exaggerated work. What it's describing is people laying on top of people. I mean, there's so many sick people, they're right on top of each other. It's hot. Could you imagine how many mosquitoes? And they're very sick. So I'm trying to give you, this is kind of like a hopeless deal, right? And it says, lay a great multitude of impotent folk. This Greek word impotent literally means people who were very, very weak, who had no strength, people who couldn't move, people who were critically ill and close to death. Impotent folk, and then it lists three main things. Blind, halt, which means crippled, and the third one is withered, which means paralyzed. Waiting for the moving of the water. In other words, full of hopeless cases. Right? What you need to learn from this is you can die or stay sick waiting for something special to happen, or you could receive your healing tonight by faith. We don't have to go to some special person. You don't need Pastor Tony to lay hands on you. You don't need, you know, whoever, the who's who of in the Word of Faith movement or whatever, right? You don't need that. You could receive everything from God through faith because he's already provided it. 
Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And it says this, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. Wow. This word infirmity means something. He was deathly ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, have you ever seen, you know, you see homeless people, but then you see real homeless people where you know they've been a long time in that situation, right? So it says, he says, so Jesus walks up to this guy. Why did he do that? Well, because his father, he saw his father do it. Jesus only did what he saw his father do. So anyway, the Holy Spirit led Jesus to walk up to this guy, and he says to him, will you be made whole? Literal rendering of this would be, do you really want to be healed? Do you know this is what Jesus is saying to people today? Right now, do you really want to be free? Do you really want to have your financial needs met? Do you really want to have your body healed? Right? Remember this, desire is not faith. You won't pursue what you don't desire. You must desire the things of God. This man, his infirmity had become his identity. That's just, it's just, this is who I am. This is my lot in life. Guys, this is why we're here, because that's just not true. God wants to change people's situation. Verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So Jesus asks him a direct question. Do you really want to be healed? But the man doesn't give Jesus a direct answer. See, the man completely believed that the lack of someone to help him was the reason why he could not get healed. And that's where people get. But Jesus saw past that and he saw the man's heart. And now this is a lesson for all of you as ministers. Jesus didn't respond to the man's confused answer. Jesus responded to his heart. When you minister to people, they might have their story, but no, 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 you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit will be ministering through you to go right to the heart of the matter every time. Wow, John, you live there, don't you, at the med center? Yeah. How many people have you led to Christ at the end of their life? Yeah. Amazing. So, so look at this. He saw... The man's heart. I'm going a little long. I'm, I, I just needed just a few more minutes. Who can you give me two minutes? Two, four, six, eight, ten. Oh man, we're gonna, okay. Lock the door. No, I'm just teasing. I'll get you out of here soon. Verse eight. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now that's a little vague. But it's, this is in the commanded tense in the Greek. So basically, while, G, while the guy's going, well, you know, I just don't have anybody, Jesus would have interrupted him. Right? So, so can you, sweetie, can you, Sarah, can you start talking to me? Just, just start talking. Rise up and walk. That's what he would have done. He would have completely interrupted the guy. Right? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Thank you. <laughs> so he would have interrupted him and immediately the man now look at this remember it was not on the faith of the guy immediately the man was made whole and then he took up his bed and walked and on the same day was the sabbath oh jesus why do you keep doing this to yourself right so, in, so 
so here we got verse 10. The Jews, now think about it. This guy was sick for 38 years. Maybe he was there for 38 years. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured. So they see this guy whole. Could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine? We have somebody in the church who's heavily crippled, and all of a sudden, you see them in high V, walking around. Yeah, I just came from the gym. You would be so happy, but religious people aren't. So they see this guy, and they say to him, it is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful to carry your bed. I would have had to repent if I was there. I would have took the guy's bed and hit the guy in the face with it, right? I mean, that's, that's horrible. Are you kidding me? Right? Freedom, never forget this. Freedom is disruptive. Freedom exposes bondage. Religious people, they couldn't see the miracle. They wanted that man back on that mat. Man. Verse 11, the man answers them. He that made me whole, the same said to me, take up your bed and walk. In other words, hey, don't deal with me. This is what the guy told me to do, right? Verse 13, and he that was healed, he didn't know it was Jesus, for Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So think about it. Here's Jesus. There's probably hundreds of sick people They're waiting for an angel and for somebody to get whole. All of a sudden, you know, Billy Bob over here, who's been there 38 years, I've been laying next to him. He jumps up completely whole. Jesus, it says he conveyed himself away. Because they would have just been like, come on, what about me, right? Why did he do that? You'll have to ask him when you get there. Verse 14, afterward, Look at this. Afterward, Jesus finds him. He finds the man that was healed. Where was the guy at? In the temple. I think that's awesome. He's going to the temple, man. He's like, God, you are so good. I wonder if there'd be more people in churches if we allowed the life of God to be the calling card for the gospel. Instead of come to church, we're having chicken this weekend. Right? So it says here, afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple, and Jesus says says to the man, behold, you're made whole. And then he says this, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. In other words, for this man's case, not in every case in Jesus' ministry, but for this guy's case, sin opened the door to his sickness. But this goes for everything, Divine healing cannot be maintained when it keeps company with sin. Now, does that mean if you're believing God and you tell your husband off that you're no longer healed? No, no, no. Keeps company with. Lifestyle of. Right? So don't, don't, get, don't go on that works routine either. So it says here, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. He healed a guy that was sick for 38 years and they wanted to slay him. Verse 17, now look at this. But Jesus answered them, what? So they're there, they want to slay him. Jesus isn't running He's talking to them. Jesus answered them, and what did he say? My father, now first of all, to say to a Jew and call God your father is blasphemy at Jesus' time. He was Jehovah. He wasn't your father. But he said this, my father worketh hitherto, or my father is working even now, and I work. In other words, Jesus is saying, this happened because my father is still at work and I am working too. 
Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Okay, almost done. Here we go. Verse 19, then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself. Well, that's something you and I could say. Hey, I can't do this in myself. But what he sees, this word see means to look upon. But what I look upon my father doing, for what things soever he does, these also does the son likewise. In other words, he's saying, listen guys, the only thing I could do is what I look upon my father doing. This was how Jesus operated, and this is exactly how we are to operate. As the Father has life in himself, he's given the Son to have life in himself, and I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Do you see the correlation here? Just a little bit. But now let me, let's go a little deeper in this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel, for as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which sent him. Now here's, here it is. He says this. We said all of that to get right here. Verse 24, verily, verily, Jesus is like, most assuredly I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting zoe. Why is he saying that? And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. It doesn't say, but will eventually be passed. It says, but is passed. That means eternal life for us right now. It starts right when you're born again. For as the, now, now is where he says this verse. For as the father hath life in himself, so hath he given the son to have life in himself. Jesus is saying the same life as the Father has, I have. This is how I do the miracles that I do. Because I've got the very life that the Father has. And I do whatever I see him do. Jesus is saying in this story that miracles are a result of him given, being given the very life of God. Zoe life, it produces miracles. It produces a supernatural life. It produces a quality of life that God has. This is why this story is so big. God wants you to walk in a too much supply of Zoe life. Miracles are to be common in the church. We're not seeing them common here now. Why? Because we're distracted. But guys, as you're sitting here, we have the same Zoe life that Jesus had, that the Father has. Wow. So I hope that blesses you tonight.